1: Greetings, Mets fans, and welcome to this week's edition of Amazing Avenue Audio, the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro, and with me this week is Aaron York. Aaron, in the New York Daily News, John Harper had a big piece this morning about Bartolo Cologne workout machine. He goes so far as to hit the LA Fitness after the day's workout on the field in St. Lucie. Of course, we all saw the videos from Jesse Sanchez this offseason of him working out at Estadio Bartolo Colon. But if you could have a Met past or present as your workout buddy, who would you pick?
2: Oh, I didn't know it was past or present. I thought it was just
1: present, so... I think it's always implied. It can be anyone sort of (laughs) related to the Mets community at large.
2: Yeah, I might need to think about this more. I was going to say... Lucas Duda for the present team just because he doesn't... I don't see him as much of a grunter. So hmm. it wouldn't be as, intimi- as intimidating as if you're going to work out with someone like... Who would do that? Darno Thor with his costume. That would be pretty intimidating. I'm I can barely lift the bar, so I would probably just do cardio with someone.
1: See, I thought because I already sort of caged the obvious answer of Bartolo in the question. Well, that would be
2: too obvious, right? But then you go with you go with Duda,
1: who's always sort of the other answer to these opening questions. Because I did limit it to Mets, I can't go with my in joke of Carlos Tochi. If you followed my work over the years, you know that it's a running gag that Carlos Tochi and I, who's a Carlos Tochi's a Phillies prospect who was in Lakewood for like three years, finally got to. Clear water this past summer. But it's been a running joke that we could share jeans. We're like we the same waist size. So <laughs> you don't have to worry about him like embarrassing me with his lifting prowess. But I mean, he probably still would. But I'm going to go with uh, my main man, Wilmer Flores. We know he has a routine that works because he's worked himself into much better shape in recent years. So he knows what he's doing.
2: That's a good point. I wasn't even thinking about the effectiveness of the workout.
1: You're thinking about who you could Just, have like. Uh, I was thinking about trying power to bars as, with afterwards. Sorry. Yeah, who you're gonna have like power bars and orange Julius with afterwards? I don't know what people. <laughs> I don't know what yeah, people or, drink. I don't. I don't work out. If you've met me, you'll know be, this.
2: Or who would be the less awkward with?
1: Yeah. I mean, all these dudes are professional athletes, so they, I'm not worried about them like spotting me or anything. I think they can probably handle that responsibility. Yeah. We may not be the last we hear of Wilmer Flores in this episode, because it is our middle infield preview. It's episode 174. We'll be covering the -the up-the-middle men for the Mets, and we'll start at shortstop. And even though the Mets are taking three of them north, probably, we haven't played this in a while, and we're about to go over half a million plays, listens, downloads, whatever, so you deserve a special treat. Dania Echeverria is probably not available. Yes, it's season three of Shortstop Avenue Audio. America's favorite shortstop should really be playing third. So, Sandy, can we have a word about Shortstop Avenue Audio? The end of last season was tragic, and we need our own esky magic. But I'll settle for something quite drastic if it ends Shortstop Avenue Audio. And we start with new Mets shortstop as Drupal Cabrera. With everything that came after his somewhat surprising signing during the winter meetings, not to mention that it was sort of around the same time as the Neil Walker trade, which sort of buried the Cabrera signing as well. We're a few months removed from that now. How do we feel about Cabrera as the 2016 starting shortstop for the Mets?
2: I was surprised that he was penciled in as the everyday guy because he's sort of been a part-time player. He's been more than a part-time player the past two years, but the way Flores hit for power last year was really impressive, and Cabrera not been much of an offensive threat since his all-star level days in Cleveland. That was pretty long time ago now, about 2012 he had he was worth about three wins so but after that he fell off the cliff but then he bounced back a little bit but now he's not a good fielder so I don't know I didn't think he would be penciled in as the guy but it looks like they're going that way and now that I'm looking at the numbers he put up last year he was pretty decent he had a Where's his OPS. 315 plus 430, so that's a good OPS.
1: That is, especially and, for a middle infielder.
2: Yeah, and Fangraphs didn't rate his defense as being terrible, so if he could do that, he'll probably be a, a little better than Wilmer Flores, although Flores, still a young player, he could make the jump if he can get his on-base percentage up uh, to around the 300 level, he could do even better than those numbers. I'm talking about Wilmer now, but Yeah, I think this is just a smart sign. He's still only 30 years old. It's a two-year deal. And he's bounced back since he kind of hit rock bottom in 2013 with Cleveland. And he was about replacement level with a 299 on base percentage and slugging 402. And then in 2014, he was traded to Washington. And he hit 241, 307, 387. So it's just like an average hitter, but then he bounced back pretty well last year. So if he's if he can play average defense, then you know he's going to hit above average for a shortstop. So I guess he's the guy unless Flores has like a crazy spring. And I'm not. It's hard to be excited about this type of player, but yeah, he he's going to be solid, and he's definitely going to help this lineup, which is becoming which is became increasingly formidable as the offseason got older
1: yeah i mean he's basically their number eight hitter and they're just so, really good for a number eight hitter. yeah, yeah. there's and they're so good elsewhere it's kind of like eh, what would, would i prefer they got a better shortstop and they were better at every position sure when i went through the projected lineup that was the only below average hitter overall i did that a few weeks ago after they signed cespedes they're looking at his Pocota projection, his 50th percentile is a 260 true average, which is about as dead-on average as you can get because it scales to batting average where 260 is average. And they project him for 242, 302, 395 with below average defense, though not awful defense. And you're right, it's not exciting. It's not even really an upgrade. And I've said before that he's kind of redundant with Wilmer Flores. It's a very similar skill set. Yeah,
0: he doesn't
2: walk a whole lot.
0: It's not a downgrade.
2: It's definitely not a downgrade. And yeah, there's a lot of uncertainty with Flores and Tejada, and it's just good to have another guy there because none of these options are super rock solid. I mean, Tejada's good on defense. Flores, he might not, he could be bad at defense, and he could not walk, and you have to depend on the power. So. With all that uncertainty, you want
1: more guys in there. So that's why this this is a good, affordable move,
2: and they don't have to commit too much to him.
1: And I think my knee-jerk reaction to Cabrera was that the money they spent would keep them from adding, say, Yohannes Cespedes or a bullpen arm like Antonio Bastardo. And it didn't, so that's okay. Yeah this, would but... only...
2: yeah, this would only be a bad move if the opportunity cost was something like that, which, of course, every time the Mets added someone... <laughs> We we had to think, oh, this is the money they could be giving Cespedus or someone else, but they got all of it done, so that's, that's why everyone's happy right now.
1: That's another thing too where I think he has we'll get to Neil Walker in a bit, but the idea of keeping the floor for this team as high as possible. I know his replacement level a couple of years ago, but I don't think he's gonna be a disaster. Um and do you wanna pay eight million dollars a year for a one to two win player? Well, we can get into sort of dollars per war and surplus value and whether it's linear and where they are on the win curve right now, things like that. But it's another quality major league player in the middle infield. It gives them depth. It gives them options as if Wright needs a day or if Wright misses a month. And I don't think it's... I don't see Cabrera playing third, although I believe he has some experience there. I think they slide Flores over there, but you still have to play short and walker to play second and it keeps you from using eric campbell well maybe we'll get to that too uh based on the stuff terry said and i know my rule is don't listen to what terry collins says in february it is still february we're recording this on leap day or march for that matter we can just roll the whole spring into this uh maxim i hope it
2: doesn't go that long
1: until he actually does these things in major league games i don't know if that's going to happen it sounds like maybe it won't we alluded to him already we'll move now to my main man wilmer flores or future playoff hero wilmer flores if you prefer in the second half of 2015 he hit 280 311 429 granted he was facing more lefties whom he mashes But I feel like that's in play with sort of normal improvement, more playing time. we will probably see more lefties and righties again this year. Uh, During that second half, he only had a 295 Babbitt, which is not eye-popping. But overall, that would be good for a shortstop. Shortstop is in air quotes. And I think if you watch him in the second half, it did seem like he was making better quality contact. The approach passes the eye test. You know, you saw him early in the season. Every away pitch, he was sticking his butt out or fanny out, as uh, Keith would say. And just sort of popping up to the right side or rolling over on it. And he started staying in on those pitches. He could serve it into right center field or not swing it. He couldn't do damage to it. He can zone his pitch, which, as we know, is dick-high garbage. And I don't think I updated this, but his final dick-high numbers for 2016... According to brooks baseball he hit 486 and slugged 1086 so if he can zone that pitch he's really good and he's a useful player if he doesn't hit 280 311 429 like he did in the second half just against lefties he hit 310 355 600 now you got to regress that to a certain extent sure but he's always had a fairly significant platoon split throughout his professional career he can play all four infield positions And the right side, obviously, with Walker and Lucas Duda, leans lefty. I know Walker's a switch hitter, but his split makes him functionally a lefty. He's also better against lefties than Azravo Cabrera, who doesn't have a split per se, but he's still not as good against lefties as Flores. Obviously not a better hitter against lefties than right, but he may just be playing every day for right at various points in time. And his 50th percentile, Pocota Projection, is slightly better than Cabrera's. It's 256, 288, 414. So with all that background out of the way, Aaron, do you think there's still upside here?
2: Yeah, I was about to say that. He could be just entering his prime. He's 24 years and six months old right now. It's crazy that he hasn't
1: turned 25 yet. He's been around forever.
2: (laughs) Yeah, especially in... The Mets system, but you said his projected, his Pocota on base percentage is only 288.
1: Yeah, well, he doesn't walk. We
2: I know he doesn't is. walk, but you expect him to walk more as he gets older. And it was his on-base percentage was only 295 last year with a 3.7% uh, walk rate. So you figure you figure if he's getting older, maybe that goes up a little bit. It hasn't worked for that. Juan
1: lagares so well.
2: <laughs> yeah, but... He's I mean Flores is
1: a good hit tool at least, so does he doesn't strike out strikes out i mean i I know what you're saying um
2: lagaris yeah
1: i but I do feel like there's maybe a little bit more in the tank for Flores than Lagaris, and that just might be a function of I haven't seen Flores keep being Flores for as many plate appearances as I've seen Lagaris be lagaris,
2: yeah, but um, what I was trying to say was. There is upside just because of his age, just because of the power he shows. I'm just hoping that he'll walk a little more. You can't really ask for more than 16 home runs, which is what he hit last year in just over 500 plate appearances. So you're hoping for, same amount of strikeouts, maybe a couple more walks. And if he can keep turning around those garbage pitches and then – He could have another solid season at the plate, and then you just... If he improves on defense, he might be a better option than Cabrera. Like we said before, these are... They profile pretty similarly from the slash stats, and uh, although Flores has been striking out fewer times. So, yeah, I'm just looking for the patience and the on-base percentage to go up. And... It's it, if the power keeps coming, that's awesome. He's twenty-four, so maybe he can get up to twenty that home runs. That would be pretty awesome. It, it's going to be interesting to see how he develops, or if he he might not develop at all. There's just he's just still a really young player, but yeah, I think the good scenario for him would be he takes over the shortstop job because he's playing better it's a little better offense a little more patience at the plate and he's playing better defense and hopefully takes over that job
1: so you alluded to his defense already and one of the reasons we're on season three of shortstop avenue audio is because they've continuously tried to turn wilmer flores into a shortstop and look i've given him credit on the podcast before for working his ass off to make himself like a 30 glove there which isn't nothing it's not nothing It's not ideal but it's not nothing so how do you use him in 2016 defensively in an ideal situation
2: it sounds like they want to use him as a super sub we know they expect right off the bat just to to miss about 30 games so he can play third base there's the platoon possibility with duda who hit lefties pretty well at the beginning of last year and then i think he tailed off so First base and Neil Walker's a switch hitter. I forgot which side is his. He's
1: a much better, better left-handed side. hitter than right-handed hitter.
2: Right, so he's better against righties. So you could maybe platoon a little bit at second base if he's you know if everyone's healthy, God willing, and if you need to get him at bats, so you could yeah switch him in a few times at second base. So we think that there's going to be places to play him just with the health history of this team. Yeah, ideally, I guess everyone's healthy as Dribble Cabrera's keeps this bounce back trend that he has going on. And then you don't have to use Flores much at all. You have to find ways to use him, but more realistically, there's the, the ways to use Wilmer Flores or his purpose on this team is going to present itself after we get through the first month or so of baseball.
1: Still projected as of right now to be a middle infielder on the 2016 Mets is Ruben Tejada. There's been scuttlebutt that his job is not entirely secure. We'll get into Ruben Tejada in a moment, but I'll start with this question, Aaron. Is Eric Campbell really making this team over Ruben Tejada?
2: Probably not, but I'm... A big soup guy. I he was so unlucky last year.
0: Uh,
2: I know I don't want him in the outfield uh, or anything. I mean
1: we're gonna cover him next week, I think, for with corner infield with Steve Sippa, which is next week. Because we kinda Look have at his to
2: walk and strikeout rates. He's in a in lifetime two thirty one,
1: three seventeen, three twenty eight hitter.
2: The three seventeen is better than the guys mm. we talked mm. about already. But mm. his walk percentage, he only had 206 plate appearances last year. I know He's it's all small samples. 13, you can walk 13% of the time. He struck out fewer than can he, less than 20% 97
1: ISO. Kenny, I don't know. I know ex, I know really exit velocity. But so is the BABIP. I know exit velocity, which doesn't matter cuz all he does is beat balls into the ground. But uh, uh, it's uh.
2: I didn't realize how bad the ISO was for two yeah, years. row, and he's kind so of only a first one baseman. For years, was
1: pretty hard. I don't know why we're discussing him in this section, and then he might take Tejada's roster spot, but he's really kind of only a first I baseman. I love his strikeout.
2: His strikeout and walk rates have always been really
1: good, and that's why mm. I like him.
2: But, yeah, he's, I mean, the BABUP doesn't get it. He's, he shouldn't make it over Tejada, because Tejada's more useful. He's their best defensive shortstop. That's the bottom line. <laughs> Eric Campbell's not the best anything, and...
1: He doesn't even hit lefties better than Tejada does. He doesn't have much of a split. At least he hasn't in the majors. And again, it's 206 plate appearances. And I know he did in the minors, but. Yeah,
2: but it comes down to Tejada. Be, he's the best offensive shortstop. So he gets the roster yeah, which spot. Which isn't
1: saying a ton. <laughs> but yes. But um, yeah, but,
2: I, I mean, I think, uh, I mean, over a, I think he's better by a decent margin than there's a, than Flores and Cabrera, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I comped Luis Carpio to him in my baseball prospectus Mets top 10 list. I actually stole that from an Amazing Avenue commenter. I forget who, but it made sense to me. Um, And people weren't that enthusiastic about that comp. And I get it. I get it. Here's his true average for the last five years, basically his five foolish seasons in the majors. Remember 260 is average because it scales to batting average. 274, 262, 203, which was his disastrous uh, 2013 season. 260 and then 277. Now, it seems like it's basically been ab- average to slightly above hitter the last, or four out of the last five seasons. Remember, the on-base percentage gets underweighted by things like OPS+. plus. I know he doesn't have a huge slugging percentage, but the on-base percentage buoys his overall offensive profile. I mean, look, I don't feel great about turning into Ruben Tejada's number one defender, but I guess with Patrick Flood across the uh, pond... Somebody has to do it. I don't <laughs> know why it's me.
2: Take the torch. But see, I'm looking. Yeah.
1: Let's take the name out of it and all the other associations Mets fans have with Ruben Tata. For his career, he's at 255, 330, 323. Look, that's not great, but he can play up the middle. I know the metrics hate him at shortstop now, but he didn't look all that different to me last year than he has in years past. He's below average but playable. That guy's not a starter, but that's a useful bench piece. You know, even before I tell you, he has a three sixty three on base percentage in his career against lefties. You can use that guy.
2: Yeah, he's the best defensive shortstop. He's their best shortstop at on base percentage. So
1: he's only twenty six, too. <laughs> so and he's still that young. Feel... He's still
2: entering his. He he's could gonna, be entering he's his. He's gonna play
1: for another five years probably, and I wouldn't be sh- shocked if he's still playing at thirty six.
2: Yeah, if his defense stays up. And, yeah, and Even his, if he's
1: like a triple A shuttle guy for somebody. Yeah. If he's Omar Quintanilla and he's playing on he's, some bad. I don't know. Omar
2: Quintanilla always had that intriguing little pop, no, though. He just, like, no. how does a no pop for the. Sure.
1: Forever. And I think that's why there's between him and Carpio as well that I've about. I think Carpio will have more power, which isn't saying much because Sahad is basically 20 power, but. I think carpio will have significantly more power, which does make the profile more exciting but as he is Dodd has been a league average slightly above hitter for most of his career
2: yeah, which is surprising, considering how terrible is he has no power, so yeah he's just it's all about him battling, although how much of the walks do you think is just him batting low in the lineup
1: I mean that's certainly part of it but those things happened it still happened it's value if you yeah, want to look agree. at it in a, in a vacuum
2: that side of it i just wonder about that because it's, it's like it's, you don't I mean, see he's guys gonna for, hit
1: eighth and he's not yeah, giving up at bats there. he's
2: not they're not gonna stop hitting him eight,
1: that's true he's not giving and, up at bats like if you put Lagarus eight he'd probably just expand because that's his approach with the hot on that eight hole, yeah, he'll give him. He'll take what's given to him, and that's fine. Turn over the lineup. There's value in that.
2: Yeah, I just always wondered about that because it was weird to see his walk percentage so high for a guy who hits for even less power than Campbell does.
1: So and some guys make it work, and he's always had a good approach like, throughout his professional do. career, even in the minors, and no power throughout his professional career, even in the minors. And it's, he's sustained it so far, at least good enough.
2: Yeah. Again, we're, past, talking,
1: we're talking about their in the past sixth two infielder, seasons. essentially.
2: I'm fine with him. He's definitely has a spot on the bench.
1: He's better he's, than Eric Campbell.
2: Yeah. He's his, better than
1: Danny Munno. He's better than Matt Reynolds, probably. Guys.
2: Probably, yeah. And
1: they don't need to save the $3.5 apparently. Like if they hadn't signed Cespedes and Bustardo, and you might think they were try they might try to leverage that twenty fifth spot with a cheaper guy to save the money, but there's no reason to do it now, as far as I can tell. You know, I'm no more or less privy to the Mets' finances than I have been at any point in this podcast, so I can only just go by the evidence that is presented to me publicly, and. It seems silly on a hundred and thirty-ish million-dollar payroll, a hundred and forty million, whatever it's going to be this year, to save three and a half million to play Eric Campbell, one hundred fifty plate appearances.
2: And I need his defense. It'd feel weird to go into the season with with Flores backing up Cabrera and having no defensive shortstop.
1: Next, we'll move to Neil Walker, who is not a shortstop. Oh. J.P. Crawford <laughs> is definitely not available. This has been Shortstop Avenue Audio. Now, I never considered his drupal because nothing rhymes with his and then you have to play as drupal at Shortstop Avenue Audio. This segment has long been a bore. Can't they just find a guy with three war? No. Maybe. Well, I really can't take any more of Shortstop Avenue Audio. He is a pretty good player, though. It's not sexy, which could be the theme of this podcast. I mean, the, the after-the-colon will probably just be 2016 Mets middle infield preview. But it could also be not that sexy. He's average hit, average power. Not a great defender. But at second base, average hit, average power. He takes some walks. That's an average, slightly above player. I think there's sort of a curse if you're... in average to slightly above player especially for many seasons it just your flaws get highlighted more than your skills I think Daniel Murphy was a good example of that Though I don't think he's quite as good a player as Walker is yeah it's close Walker doesn't hit for as
2: much average like you said he knows how to take a walk a little better than Murphy does and I mean, the, the on-base and
1: slugging come out close enough-ish. Like, he's projected, we'll go back to his 50th percentile of projection. Just ignore the batting average. On-base percentage, 316, slugging 406. That's Murphy-ish. I also think it's a little bit low, but it's Murphy-ish.
2: Yeah, it's lower than what he's done. He's only 30 years old, and it's that's lower than what he's done the past two seasons. His 2014 was a really big year. He hit 23 home runs. Uh, with a 342 on-base percentage, probably not going to do that again. But in all the years surrounding that, he was about two and a half wins. So it's a it's a really – seems like a really safe play. Even if he drops the power a little bit, he's still going to hit more than 10. And he's – and everyone's going to call him a professional hitter. And, <laughs> and he's probably a little better at defense than – Murphy so this is and this and he's he gets over around not necessarily over 550 played appearances 130 games played he's probably going to hit those benchmarks so it's a really safe move this guy's stats have been pretty consistent uh you're hoping for 2014 when he hit all those home runs but you'll settle for settle for 15 home runs and just roll them out there every day so
1: I mean, I've said this before, essentially in what's a win-now season, they're going for floor. They're essentially replacing Daniel Murphy's production on a one-year deal that they could not get Daniel Murphy for. And he's a little bit better around the margins, so there's a chance he's better than Murph would have been this year.
2: Yeah, I'm I think part little- of the
1: reason the, the Coda projection is a little low, I wonder how heavily it's regressing uh, batting average and power with him moving to city field so it could be like a stadium thing park factor thing and i think park factors for city field are still a little wonky because of all the various fence moves
2: yeah but and i was thinking that too when you gave the projection and it seemed low but pnc park isn't a picnic for hitters either
1: no it's i think it's neutralist to a slight pitcher's park which i think is probably a good description of city at this point it would be career lows for his batting average on base percentage And I know the aging curve for second baseman can be tough, but again, he's only 30. And even if he hits that, you know, 248, 316, 406, that's still pretty decent, and you're not on the hook for a a multi-year deal when you have Herrera waiting in the wings.
2: Yeah, that's why I like the move a lot, because it felt like it fit into what they wanted to do with Herrera, where you're defending a pennant you don't want to risk everything giving this kid who's still really really young uh the starting job right away but you don't want to sign someone long term where it's going to block him for a long period of time so this seems like a perfect move to fit the roster even though without Nice now and we don't want to get into the rotation now but
1: this is not they've the they traded away a
2: They tra- they've traded away a lot of pitchers. They don't have a lot of pitchers,
1: yes. We'll and cover that in The starting pitching. And
2: taken up the fifth spot, and Zach Wheeler didn't have great control before Tommy John surgery. But,
1: all right,
2: I'll stop on the pitching for now.
1: So of the four players we've talked about so far, Ezdrubal Cabrera, Omar Flores, Ruben Tejada, Neil Walker, who do you think will be the most valuable in 2016?
2: the most valuable will be neil walker because he plays offense and defense
1: (laughs) yeah yeah sure that works i mean i think that he's the safe bet
2: he's balanced he's the most balanced player he's the most safest as far as playing time goes it's just safe it just makes him valuable to have him out there every day and i feel like shortstop could be a bit of a revolving door so it goes to neil walker for now
1: We will also talk briefly about a couple of the players on the farm who may factor into the Mets' 2016 middle infield. We'll start with Dilson Herrera. What is the Dilson Herrera plan for 2016?
2: Have him look really good hitting for power in Las Vegas.
1: Yeah, for some reason I thought he had more plate appearances in Vegas already than he did. He only had 364 but he didn't play there in 2014. He was promoted directly from Binghamton right before the roster expansion. And then last year he was hurt for various months of the year. So there's not as much of a track record. I mean, it doesn't matter. He hit he hit a, a decent amount in Vegas. I don't think he has time to prove in AAA. You don't want to read too much into 169 Major League plate appearances, but strikeouts have been a little bit of an issue. The power's been there, as you would expect. He's looked like a a good athlete. He's walked more than you'd expect. None of this matters. He's only 22, or he'll be 22 in a few days. He's a year younger than Michael Conforto. He's three months younger than Gavin Cicchini. I don't know what a year in Vegas does for him developmentally, but I don't think it causes him to stagnate either. And if Neil Walker gets hurt, he can come up and play second base. And you're trying to win a pennant. So going for that surety some of the guys we've mentioned so far over Dilson Herrera makes sense to me, I guess.
2: Yeah, he's and he, the youth really is amazing. I keep looking at what he did at, in Binghamton in 2014 when what so he's about to turn 22 so he was 20 years old in yeah. binghamton in 2014 and he hit 340 406 560 in about in uh 60 games 278 plate appearances holy cow yeah he's... that really yeah that was the one that put him on the map and yeah he he wasn't great he struck out 22 percent of the time and just in 100 plate appearances he got last year with the Mets. he's been
1: hurt he didn't get steady playing time when he was healthy and on the major league team i don't I mean, there are exploitable holes in his swing and his approach, but... But He
2: hit three home runs and there's 100 plate appearances.
1: I mean, he can be a 15-home run guy, certainly. And for a guy his size that can play second base, that's very (laughs) good. So here's a... Let's say they get to the trade deadline. As we know, they don't have much left to deal. Granted, you can have somebody break out this year from the system, much like Michael Fulmer did last year, and turn themselves into a significant trade piece a guy that could headline a deal even if it's only for a rental could dilson herrera be that guy in july if the mets really need to fill a hole in a pennant race
2: yeah of course he's got the upside he's one of the no, oh, he's he's not, is he, he's not considered a prospect anymore because he'd be on the top of the list.
1: 169 plate appearances, or however many at bats he has. They don't go by plate appearances; they go by at bats. But yeah, he doesn't qualify.
2: Okay, yeah, because he'd be—he's basically their top prospect. He's this young second baseman who can hit for power and do all these things, and uh, so yeah, he'd be—he could fetch. He's a piece who you everyone would be asking for if the Mets really need something he's gonna be at the top of the line when it comes to teams asking for stuff
1: should they consider it though
2: I wouldn't want to part with him because he's got a ton of potential and he could fill a spot on the field for a really long time it you I mean you could think of hypothetical situations what if this what if that
1: it depends on the deal as Ted Berg would say depends on what depends on the deal
2: Yup, it's, I mean, you have to consider everyone, for me, everyone's tradable, it all depends on the situation, but yeah, judging by what he's done for the past few years, and the fact that they let Murphy go, and then they signed only, and they traded for a one-year guy to replace him, then yeah, the Mets like this guy, it seems like, and they'd have to be pretty desperate to part with him, and they'd have to get something really really good like more than a rental and a deal that was centered around Herrera i think
1: all we heard in 2015 is how matt reynolds was a baseball player but it said on the scouting reports that terry collins was reading i actually argued he should break camp with the team in 2015 over eric campbell in 2016 that's not really in play which is not a bad thing that means the team is good the team is deep I mean, he shouldn't probably be behind Campbell on the pecking order, but it's a Terry Collins team, so that's what you get. He's also getting the outfield kiss of death. We've heard it before. He's going to get some work in the outfield in spring training. We've heard this with Justin Turner, Josh Satin, Eric Campbell, probably Brad Emis, though I don't remember. I guess it worked out for Campbell. Worked out for Campbell, maybe not for the rest of us. Matt Reynolds, does he spend more or fewer days on the 2016 Mets roster than you did on the 2015 Mets roster, since you have all those playoff days.
2: Oh, because the playoff days, Yeah, yeah, right. they count.
1: It was like two weeks.
2: <laughs> oh, uh, probably fewer. You hope for fewer, because it means someone's going to get hurt. And even then, he might be like the second guy they want to call up. He wasn't very good at all in Las Vegas last year after 2014. when He was hurt. Like might, he had a back issue of some something. sort. We'll, be, we'll see how he does this year then. He's going to be 25, and he only slugged 402 last year, and he didn't walk a whole lot either. So we'll see. It was, yeah, it was really interesting when they called him up. He could have had his first ever major league appearance in the postseason, which forgot if that had been done
1: before. I was reading I mean, it about was it. It was done by, Al- by Raul Mondesi Jr. in the World Series.
2: Right. Right. They did it with Raul Mondesi Jr. And they gave him an at-bat.
1: Against Noah Syndergaard, which did not crazy. end well for him.
2: No, I remember that. That was like, it was really exciting, though. He's such an exciting prospect. And he was so green. And he was in the World Series. That was an awesome moment.
1: So, the thing, about, the thing about Matt Reynolds is, I think I had him just outside the top 10 on my list at Amazing Avenue. one of the five guys that were interesting, which isn't strictly an 11 through 15 on my baseball prospectus list. He's a role four guy, below average major league player. Now, those guys can be useful. On bad teams, they might start. I mean, the Mets were starting threes at various times at the early part of 2015 before the trade deadline, essentially. But on a good team, you don't really want them as even bench players, if you can. And I would say Tejada, you know, Tejada's probably a roll four, but he's a better shortstop than Reynolds is, so that gives him some value. You know, I think Ligaris and Flores are a cut above that, so is Deaza. I mean, the whole idea of the second division starter, the Roll 5, is they start on second division teams. The Mets are not a second division team. So they're good bench players. It's a good baseball team. Again, not a sexy series of dudes playing up the middle. But there's no black holes. It's nice. It's nice, as Lucas Duda would say. (laughs) We'll talk more about him in the corner... Infield preview next week. For now, we'll move on to your emails. Before we do emails, we do housekeeping. This is Amazing Avenue Audio episode 174. Amazing Avenue Audio is the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Met site, Amazing Avenue. You can find us on the internet at amazingavenue.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at amazing Avenue, And join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash Avenue. You can find the podcast on iTunes. Just search for Amazing Avenue Audio. You can listen or subscribe right there. I encourage you to do both. I also encourage you to rate and review the podcast. We do have a new review. So thank you, Andy, for breaking the seal. It's been a while. So if you get a chance, go out there and give us a review. You don't have to write much. Just say hey. Let us know you're listening. I don't even really care if you enjoy the show. I don't know why you would still be at this point 174 episodes in. If you didn't, you can also find the podcast on the Stitcher app, download directly from blogtalkradio.com slash Avenue, or listen to the embedded player that goes up in the podcast post at Amazing Avenue proper. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro. You can follow me on Twitter at Jeff Paternostro. My co-host this week is Aaron York. You can follow him on Twitter at appy5000. That's at-a-p-y-5000. That was the housekeeping. Yeah. These are your emails. You can email the podcast at podcast at and Our first email is from Sylvan. Dear hosts, I have a question somewhat inspired by Luis Carpio i got to get better about saying Luis Carpio. I'm going to say his name a lot on the podcast. I have said his name a lot on the podcast. I remember to accent the uh, second syllable in both cases. I'm working on it. Projecting future velocity growth is a major topic with teenage pitching prospects, but not so much with position players, yet arm strength can be pretty important for position players too. Dilson Herrera, for example, would probably be a starting shortstop right now. Rather than ticketed for a return to AAA, if his arm had gotten less noodly at some point? Is it common for young fielders to gain significant zip on their throws with age and growth? And is it, like with pitchers, something that evaluators can project for certain players based on body type, youthfulness, etc.? Are hitters less likely than pitchers to be able to improve their arm strength significantly for whatever reasons? Or is it just less remarked upon? Have you ever seen a fielder who had a pretty meh arm and then wowed you on a later look. This was email was entitled, "Shortstop Arm Avenue Audio. I'm not playing the jingle again. You already got it once. So what you usually see with infielders as opposed to pitchers, there's a few different things going on here. The raw arm strength, especially at lower levels, it can be a little scattershot because their actions aren't consistent, their throwing mechanics aren't consistent, they struggle with game speed, they try to do too much too fast. So with more reps, and they get more comfortable, maybe the raw arm strength plays to, or the arm tool plays to the raw arm strength. Sort of like the way game power would play to raw power. As an analogy. However, with pitching mechanics, keep in mind, It's the same thing over and over again, ideally. It's the same motion. It's the same mechanical thing. If you're an infielder, if you're a shortstop specifically, you have to make a variety of throws from a variety of angles, different arm slots on the run, different body positions. It's difficult to repeat all of those as many times as a pitcher repeats his pitching mechanics in the course of a... Pen session or a game or a workout or whatever so let's take gavin Chikini for an example who as you have no Sylvan, i have killed repeatedly on this podcast for his defense and specifically for his arm if you give him a shoulder high bounce and you can take a hop towards first it's a 55 arm sure uh probably the same with someone like Yudor garcia at third but it's not a 55 arm because you have to make all the other throws and pitchers are on very specific throwing programs. You sign, draft, acquire pitchers for that projectability. With infielders, you expect their defense to improve with reps, but you're not necessarily... When you're, we talk about projectability for, say, Ahmed Rosario, is we think he's going to fill out and hit 20 home runs. It's not that his arm grade is going to go from a 60 to a 70. Sort of the raw velocity is what it is. And, you know, like pitchers, I think we can throw infielders in this class too, Some of these guys never throw as hard as they did in college. We see it with pitchers all the time. See Mike Pelfrey and Jonathan Gray, and there's a laundry list that if it wasn't almost 10 o'clock and I wasn't mostly done with this old-fashioned and I had prepped this email a little more intensely than I did, I could give to you. Uh, To mention Luis Carpillo again, so his arm strength isn't ideal, but he's polished and mechanically sound. So maybe it's an average arm, but it's an average arm while making a variety of throws. And that's good. You know, I've said before, you can cover with other things as a shortstop or really at various defensive positions, but if you have good things elsewhere. So if your arm's a little short for shortstop, but your actions are good or you're mechanically sound or you get to balls faster and you have more time to make those throws, your instincts are good, it's less of an issue to the total defensive package. You know, Luis Guillorme is the extreme example of this, where his arm is not a prototypical shortstop arm. If he didn't do everything else as well as he did it, he'd probably be a second baseman. But instead, he's a plus shortstop. Maybe even higher. (laughs) So that is my long-winded Shortstop arm answered. Do you have anything to add, Aaron? That was epic. It was pretty long. I'm gonna take a sip of my drink now. I know people to jingle some ice <laughs> on the podcast, so the ice is mostly melted. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh no, I knew I wasn't gonna have
2: anything for that one. That was a really good scout question.
1: I mean, some guys do. Um uh, you can get stronger and throw harder, but again, it's the arm grade is not strictly you know how fast you would throw off a mound essentially it's not fastball velocity there's some other things that go into it now again fastballs can play down too for mechanical reasons but for the same uh, the same way an arm grade would play down for a shortstop but it happens but it's not as common as it is with pitchers because you acquire pitchers because it's you acquire pitchers because you think you can fix something it's harder to fix shortstop arms because you have to fix a variety of things. And a lot of those projectable pitchers don't project either. Dirty little secret. Our next email is from one of our many Michaels. Hi, Jeff and co-host hosts. I have just read Moneyball. It was interesting to read it more than 10 years after it was published. Some of its ideas are mainstream now. However, it did raise a few questions for me. The main market inefficiency that was exploited by the A's when the traditional stats did not correlate well with runs production, and hence wins. In the years since, have we developed an absolute knowledge of what stats approaches stats slash approaches to the game give you the best chance of generating the most runs, or is that still an open question? Thank you, Michael and Houston. PS, I've been a podcast listener for the last couple of years. Thank you for putting out good content, even if the Mets don't always do the same. Um, Moneyball. So the running joke among the Saber set sort of towards Moneyball critics that didn't actually read the book is that, you know, Moneyball is all about walks or Moneyball is all about on-base percentage. Or if you're, you know, Ken Tremendous writing on Fire Joe Morgan, I think the running gag there that was written by, uh, Moneyball is written by Billy Bean who's actually a robot. (laughs) Yup. I mean, it's about market inefficiencies, which is much less interesting or much less of a hook i suppose you know there's a scene from the movie where jonah hill's like you know you can't buy players you gotta buy runs essentially we've heard the the sort of we're not selling jeans here is basically a baseball meme at this point so that's what you're looking for you're looking for things that for whatever reason other teams don't value as highly as they should and it was 10 years ago every team has an analytics department now that kind of i think broad market inefficiency that was present then certainly isn't present now in any i shouldn't say that it's less easily accessible to a smart general manager or a smart front office so like the other thing about moneyball at the time was that college players were undervalued in the draft now you might be seeing the opposite. You know, it's young high school picks, according to Randy Gisarelli's recent research. You know, what is it today? Is it hit tool? Is it right-handed power? You know, a couple of years ago it was defense. So the Rays have a lot of success with that, and the Mariners try to replicate it. But that kind of stuff is more volatile than walk rate. Just because of opportunities, you often hear the next money ball will be health. You know, keeping your players healthy. Is it development? Um i don't have a good answer here there's probably still inefficiencies out there but it's not you're paying more for them than you were 10 years ago essentially everybody's gotten smarter you know everybody you want to talk about stats that correlate better with runs with uh runs and therefore wins yeah you can look at things like true average weighted on base average There's plenty of... We measure offense really fucking well now. And I think we've gotten better at measuring pitching, too. Defense, we're still not all the way there, but how much of an impact does that have on the game versus offense? We don't even know that yet because we don't measure defense well.
2: Uh, Yeah, someone found a way to measure defense better than what we're able to do right now and maybe they already have it's just not available to the public but if they were able to find the next Kevin Kiermeyer at for cheap or just grab him off someone's roster that could be a way to exploit something where not everyone has a ton of information yet the ironic twist on all of this is that the Royals for the past two years have been seen as this anti-moneyball champion because instead of walking and doing three true outcome stuff, they make their runs by hitting for contact and by stealing bases, which is what the Moneyball A's are famous for not doing. But what if those contact guys who didn't hit for a lot of power were undervalued by the market? Although, in this case, a lot of their guys were drafted, so it doesn't totally... Fall into play with you're still identifying fights.
1: these players and a lot of them weren't high draft picks i mean, moved Stockus and hosmer works that's where they were drafting but they and got kane, lorenzo, they, they got lorenzo kane. kane in trade yeah he was in the zach granke deal and was considered to be i think the second or third piece
2: yeah so what i was saying is these guys are maybe not considered as good in this era as they were used to be because everyone's out for these three true outcomes guys or at least guys who do two of the the two outcomes that are good we want walks and we want home runs uh and that might be a result of Moneyball. and as and that was basically the Mets' strategy
1: especially in the second half of the season and it got them to the world series it's tough to sort of look at the stuff that does well in the playoffs and the funny thing about the royals is if you look at their success it's based on essentially contact rate good defense shut down bullpen bullpen strikeout rate specifically i guess to to continue the the theme but what that basically was was nate silver's secret sauce at baseball prospectus many many years ago he came up with that sort of why what teams do well in the playoffs and you still have to get to the playoffs obviously but the three things that correlated best with playoff success were contact rate defense and essentially bullpen strikeout rate how good your bullpen was want to look at it that way now, none some, of those things are starting pitching right now, some Everyone of, that, some of that's start, been you do have the starting pitching some of that's been debunked to a certain extent because a lot of the years that he was covering the yankees were incredibly successful so you could just say they had mariano rivera as a proxy for bullpen success and it, it didn't replicate as well past then but the idea itself seems sound you're playing better teams. You expect the games to be closer. You expect the games to be lower scoring in colder weather. You want to minimize, you want to put as many balls in play as you possibly can because then good things can happen as we saw with the Royals. You want to turn balls into play into outs. Minimize the bad things that happen when the other team makes contact. And you want to be able to win close games late. You want to be able to protect one and two run leads. So having a good bullpen is helpful with that. And you want to talk about sabermetrics, there's no one more sabermetrically inclined or moneyball-ish than Nate Silver nowadays.
2: Yeah. We know all those are
1: good things, though. Shifting is the new hotness, too, of course, sort of in sabermetric circles. And the Royals don't call it shifting, but they position their defensive players about as well as they possibly can. As well as any team in baseball. Whether that's whether that's advanced scouting, whether that's stats, whether it's a combination of both, they do have an analytics department. Every team does. I think that's again, it's Advanced stats, we- moneyball arguments. Colin Weyer said this to me on Twitter many years ago, and it's always stuck with me. Really, all they are are death of the media arguments in drag. Because it's really not about baseball. Baseball teams all do this to varying extents and in varying ways, but they all do this now. The war is over. You're just yelling at Bill Plashkey on Twitter. <laughs> and all those
2: things, The Nate Silver's, three things to win in the postseason are all good things. We know we want to catch the ball and hit with contact and protect leads. The question is if they're really more valuable than the other parts of winning baseball games, like getting on base and starting pitching and all that other good stuff. So that's the part that's really interesting for me. And sometimes it's not about if it's more important although on-base percentage has been more positively correlated to winning than on-base or than a batting average over the years but the real question is what do you have to pay for it and then the royals didn't have to give up as much for their contact players as some other teams did for their big mashers and like you said they also found guys in the bullpen who were wade davis and awesome and herrera and the point is there are a lot of different ways to win a baseball game whether that be the way the royals did it or the way the mets are going to try to do it with their starting pitching
1: and i'm going to correct myself because i realized as i was yeah. saying it didn't sound right uh it is good closer it is good defense uh, pa- uh normalized k rate for your staff in general not the contact rate. it's the whole staff yeah so that's that you, know, you can look at how the Mets are doing it, too.
2: Oh, and I remember the one other thing I wanted to add is that this offseason, everyone's the adding to the bullpen is like the hot new thing. Everyone's trying to copy the Royals. I know the Red Sox so, added Carson Smith and Craig Kimbrell. So now again, a then, lot of people think that bullpen is the new in vogue. And
1: the price is going around. up for those guys. I mean, not for Chapman because of the other things around it, but the Red Sox oh, yeah. paid, paid a pretty penny for Kimbrell. They sent a starting pitcher, not a great one, but a starting pitcher in Wade Miley to Seattle for Carson Smith. These guys are going to be in demand at the deadline. Look at what the Mets traded for Addison Reed and Tyler Clippard last year.
2: Yeah, they to uh, give up a pretty hot prospect just to get Tyler Clippard and... It kind of worked out. <laughs>
1: yeah, about
2: depends on how Meisner is. He's, I mean, uh, we know. We've talked a lot about Meisner on the
1: podcast. We don't need to anymore.
2: I'll uh, let it be then. Let's, next, yeah, we'll, let's go to the next email. Our next
1: email is from Tom. Hey, Jeff. I just started listening to Amazing Avenue Audio recently, and I'm cursing myself for not starting sooner. You, I, I could say you could go back and listen to all 174 episodes, man. They're all that. Don't do that. Just don't do that don't do that to yourself your family your friends anyone in your carpool but welcome aboard i find that i can't stop listening to it you can you can i promise you guys do a great job with the podcast and always makes my commute to work a blast well i know this is really far off we're only just getting into spring training i think it'll be interesting to see how well terry manages the 2016 national league all-star team in san diego after managing the 2015 Mets into the World Series? I think it will definitely be something that is fun to watch this year. In years past, not many Mets have fared well in the All-Star vote. Would that 2016 lineup poised look its best in years? And with the starting rotation packed with potential aces, which of these 2016 Mets do you potentially see making the team? Could we see multiple Mets pitchers in the All-Star rotation? If so, who do you think gets the start? If Familia is as dominant of a closer as he was last year, think he gets snubbed again. As a side note, I'm hoping Duda puts up some great numbers this year and gets the vote to start at first base. It would be nice to quiet all the Duda haters out there. Well, they we all got to vote for him. That's how it works. Thank you again for taking my email and for all the work you put into the podcast. Keep up the great work. Sincerely, Tom. So I'm, I don't care about the All-Star game anymore. Like I'm fine if, if Terry just like spams the roster with New York Mets as well as he can. I do think they'll have better attendance this year. They'll be a better team. They'll be more of a public team. They will do better in the All-Star voting than they have in the past. I could see Wright getting in regardless. I could see Cespedes getting in regardless of how well they're performing in the first half. You know, is probably not beating out Buster Posey. Duda's probably not beating out a variety of guys. Botto, Freeman. Rizzo. Rizzo.
2: Yeah, they're loaded. I don't loaded. see any... was you know, loaded there.
1: Yeah, but you know, I, I can see Terry sneaking a few guys in. Familia's a good shout, especially if he's racking up some saves. Um, multiple Mets starters, probably. Again, you have to see how the first half performance pans out because the kind of thing that influences... I think the managers and player decisions may be a little more to an outsized effect than it does the fans' decisions. But I don't have a problem with that. Take care of your clubhouse. It doesn't really... You know. I mean, if five of the innings next year are pitched by Matt Harvey, Jacob deGrom, Noah Syndergaard, Stephen Matz, and J. Familia Familia airing it out, I feel like that gives the National League a pretty good chance to win. So why wouldn't you do that if you're managing to win? We've seen what Syndergaard can do out of the pen. We saw it in the playoffs. He was hitting 100. Why not do that? And it gets you yeah. a, it, it's a silly system to put it in the manager's hands. he's always going to go to his guys because he has a clubhouse to manage for every other game of the season that's not the All-Star game. So I'm much more sanguine about the whole thing than I was. I, I don't get angry about All-Star voting.
2: Yeah, I'm still waiting for uh, manager to give an fu to the system and just manage completely to win the game. Don't bring in reserve position players. Yeah, no one's. It's guys.
1: It really is kind of like they can't. I don't
2: know. Well, position players don't matter. Pitchers, like maybe uses one guy. Like if you were really, if your game really depended on it, you.
1: Yeah, Probably. you do. You do like it'd be two innings of Kershaw, two innings of
2: I think you Harvey, might go three. two innings. Of like I
1: know you wouldn't go nine. Arietta, two innings of Greinke, and then somebody to close and keep like Madison Bumgarner for a lefty-lefty matchup if you needed or something ridiculous.
2: Yeah, but I think if someone was really looked good, I think you'd keep them out there for three or four.
1: Yeah, I guess or you at could.
2: Least turn through the order, which I guess would be three innings if they were lights out. Like DeGrom came out last year just throwing smoke. You can't take him out of the game right away. You got you gotta like wait for someone to make contact off of him first. So I think that would be interesting. He leaves some rivals pitcher in there, maybe a little too long, then they're comfortable with and
1: there are so all sorts of interesting things that can happen. Max you're going seven tonight.
2: Yeah, if he's if he's what if he's pitching a no hitter. Yeah. He hasn't but, got up a hit uh, yet.
1: So um, what? What met would you like to see him sneak on onto, onto the All Star roster? Like the most met. The, so it, the met you would be. most like. I mean, it could be someone that might justifiably make it. But I mean, we're not going to go with you know Juan Lagaris here, probably, or Kevin Plawecki.
2: I mean Duda, who Tom mentioned, is someone is like the sneak guy. Because sure, he could, good, could have like he could have twenty home runs the at the guys. break or something yeah might. i'm trying to think of like i wouldn't like the starters could all deserve it we hope they will we we hope it's maybe bartolo. i mean maybe he's each a fourth guy oh bartolo, it's,
1: bartolo. Yeah. Yeah, it's bartolo it's always bartolo I think
2: he's gonna be that good uh, i love bartolo as much as everyone i love He's got to rack strikers. up the wins
1: he was on a good he was off to a good start last year and then it kind of fell apart and i tweeted some things about him starting the all-star yeah. game which i don't but regret at all
2: <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't either I, but no you're regrets. right
1: that's the that's the sneak guy if he's like below four yeah if
2: he's like all right why like go 10, for it.
1: two with a 350 ra get him in there get him on the plane san diego whatever the like mustard or brown uniform he'll be wearing they always do the team colors you think they're going to do the throwbacks
2: for San Diego? Well,
1: what is it? Like? It's like gold and blue. Well, otherwise, they right?
2: The, they brought back the mustard, but they have not brought. they I yeah. think the Browns going to be alternate this year, yeah, but like the the. Yeah, yeah. Where is so it the NL and
1: the NL and the mustard, AL and the brown?
2: Is that what they announced they're doing? They the, haven't. But that's what they should logo. do. Yeah, but the logo is still blue and yellow. Yeah. But I remember when they they because of the yellow. I don't. I forgot if they're bringing it back for the uniforms this year or next year, but they, the brown is still an alternate, but no, I think be yellow everybody's in camo. <laughs> I don't mind when the Padres use the camo because they at least have matching hats and matching batting helmets and they sure. like make a theme. But When the Mets like have the camo and they have the blue script and they have the blue batting helmet, it just doesn't look good at they
1: all. They give me the racing stripe jersey for Sunday home games, so. That's going to be amazing. Whatever they want to think- do, they can do.
2: Yeah, they wore that in either 2002 or 2003. I just remember...
1: It was uh, 2006. It was the 20th anniversary because I remember last thing's millage was wearing it as baggy as possible and Keith was not happy. Oh, yeah. You got to wear those jerseys tight.
2: That's awesome. I know Mo Vaughn wore it at least some point, but yeah, 2006 would be more recent than that.
1: Our last email is from Liam dear podcasters i apologize for my lateness in sending an email he sent this exactly three hours ago i was amazed to hear that a mr Johannes cespedes bought a prize hog at a local county fair in the spirit of the podcast i wanted to ask you to name the pig also i was wondering who between mono and campbell gets more at bats this year have a great night liam from philly I mean, is it do you want to name a pig right before you put it on the uh Spit think over he's the gonna, oven. I don't he's think he's to gonna I don't, don't think he's gonna eat the pig. This report says
2: he's paid seven thousand dollars for You're not pig. gonna eat
1: the seven thousand dollar pig. I mean I know the, it was prominently displayed in his original video package of him like spit roasting a pig. And it almost is too perfect.
2: This thing needs to be a mascot the way the brewers have hanged the dog. <laughs> if the Mets had like rolled out a pig It's gotta be Wilbur, right?
1: Spring training. It's the only pig name I know. I
2: mean I love... Wilbur's a great, obviously, from Charlotte's Web. Yes. Uh, yeah, I would go with Wilbur, or if they want to... Like, the only, a, the the
1: only other, like, movie. I mean, Babe. Eh. Good, great movie. Or were the pigs named in Animal Farm? I should remember this. I'm vaguely oh, literate. Snowball. Snowball, yeah.
2: And what was the other one? Yeah, Animal Farm's great, though.
1: Did they just name the pig after Trotsky, or was it just supposed to be Trotsky? I don't remember.
2: Um, yeah, my history is like totally I just remember I read it a, in
1: high school I haven't read it since yeah
2: so did I everything I know about communism I learned from that book
1: uh, Napoleon Napoleon and Snowball Napoleon and Snowball
2: yeah oh that book was
1: fascinating I should reread it, re-read it. I would
2: yeah probably I would reread it too re-read it. I'd it's probably short understand it it's like under 20 better now
1: <laughs> god it
2: was short that's one part of the reason I liked it but it was simple. It it really simplified the whole and it was a great, the whole thing was a great metaphor. So. Sure.
1: And w- it's awesome. Th- the thing about Suspicious with the Pig is you hear the duck story, and you're like, man, he's going to eat the pig. you heard the duck story? I haven't heard the duck story. So I forget who, uh, at Jazzmasters on Twitter is how I came across it, but I think it was off Reddit or something. So the story is he was, the person writing this anecdote is like, vaguely knows him because like his sister or something or his sister's boyfriend i don't remember anyway they were at cespedes's ranch or whatever in florida his house and a duck wandered through the backyard and one of the people in attendance remarked they love duck cespedes went into the house came out with a rifle shot the duck and threw it on the skinned it and plucked it himself and threw it on the grill and 10 minutes later they were having duck Oh my god <laughs> so He might eat the pig, I don't know It sounds like he's gonna eat the pig
2: oh. um, What else can I dig up in this report They're saying he was nice to everyone He asked one of the people at the rodeo He was in well, a what? cowboy hat too, uh, which is
1: hilarious There's some pictures that have popped up on Twitter It's such a weird yeah. It's like I'm so glad that Because usually this is the time of year When just the stories coming out of spring training Are just dog shit Like I don't care You've got like Cespedus driving a Alfa Romeo HC, which is one of my favorite cars. And then loaning the H C to Wilmer Flores for all of spring training. And then he's just going to the St. Louis County Fair every day.
2: They, in a cowboy
1: hat and a flannel shirt.
2: Probably playing to, golf in the morning. He loaned it to one of those staffers so they can like get everyone. No, that donuts was a Lamborghini
1: and that's no, you get a waffle iron. That was you the waffle right, waffle. The waffle iron. Maker. So here's the thing about that. He's got a Lamborghini Aventador that looked like it was slammed. I mean, it's already incredibly low to the ground. If you've driven around the parking, uh, parking lots in those St. Lucie shopping centers on the boulevard, there's a whole ton of roundabouts and a lot of speed bumps. I would not want to be driving a $500,000 Lamborghini around those shopping centers if I was a team staffer. they would never driven it before. I assume it's a stick, too. Actually, yeah. they're, they're all paddle shifters now. It's not like a true stick, so. <laughs> Driving around there, you're not getting it out of first anyway, so. But it's great. Yeah, he's just, that's just... He's the gift that keeps on giving. I don't care what he hits this year. Sorry. He can drive whatever he wants.
2: He really has been amazing just and for the writers. So. Cars, a pig. Cars,
1: pig. Like, Adam Rubin <laughs> was promoting his story on Twitter. I talked to the family that sold him the pig. That's what it's February 29th. This is what we get. Well, we'll Adam games. Rubin chasing down stories at the St. Lucie County Fair. I love the fair. It's so much fun. These spring training games start this week. I'm very ex- upset that the game against the Nationals is not going to be on TV because I'm curious to see how Montero looks. And I'm always curious to see how Gabriel Yanoa looks. And they're both pitching in the uh, Thursday game. It's not an MLB Network, it's and it's not on the Nats Network.
2: Oh, yeah. So ML, I, don't, I don't think MLB Network sends their own guys down there, so they would be taking the Masson feed. Yeah. But, yeah, if Masson was covering it, MLB probably would put it on in New York because those are two sexy teams.
1: They are.
0: Those are your but, emails.
2: Yes.
1: Yes, they were. Once again, you can email the podcast at podcast at com. We have an IFK Gothenburg update, and our blue and white angels tumbled out of the Svenska Cupen in the group stage with another disappointing 1-1 draw against the Superettan side. This time against IFK Frege. Victor Skold scored for the good guys, but this leaves them with two points and facing Homestads next weekend, who are already through with six. It's a bad omen. They've missed a lot of chances in these first two games against lower league sides. They are already in Europa League qualifying at least, due to their second-place finish in last year's El Svenskin. But I don't know what this portends for this year's season. We'll have to see. I'm a little nervous. I don't know where the goals are coming from. I do have some plugs as well. As I mentioned, my Mets list at Baseball Prospectus went up at the end of last week. You can check that out. It is free to read. I also did a chat last Thursday. It's right on the main page. You can read through the archive. I did about 60 questions in three hours. Many Mets questions, many cocktail questions. All the stuff you've come to know and love. And of course, you can continue to hear my interviews as part of our National League previews on Effectively Wild, the Baseball Prospectus podcast at Baseball Prospectus or in iTunes and various other places. And that is about it for episode 174. we got Steve Stippa next week doing the corner infield, as reported first here, on Amazon Avenue Audio about, I don't know, 45 minutes ago or so. you have anything else to add, Aaron, before we sign off? Um...
2: I'm good. Let's go hog wild.
1: Oh, for in Jesus training. fucking yes. Christ. We'll see you next week for another edition of Amazing Avenue. Howdy oink, go. oink.